This is Mouth Media Network, audio for business. Hi, I'm Eric Katz, the co-founder of Seed Health, and to me, it's a matter of curiosity. The move fast and break things mantra of Silicon Valley has proliferated startup culture and has been the fuel of short-term thinking. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. The pendulum is beginning to shift as brands and their founders are stepping up to tackle big global problems using the power of business to be part of the solution. In our hyper-connected world, it's sometimes difficult to slow down and play the long game, especially when your competitors are building against a completely different paradigm. True innovation requires a commitment that often means more friction, more time, and higher costs compared to the industry norms. Eric Katz is the co-founder and co-CEO of Seed Health, a biotech startup that's developing novel uses of bacteria to improve human and planetary health. She's happy to play the long game. She believes that it's what people deserve. When it comes to human health and the health of our planet, no corners should be cut. Thank you so much for joining us today. I have to say, I'm a huge fan of what you guys were doing. So when um, your PR agency reached out, I was so excited that you said yes to being on our podcast. Yeah, I mean, likewise, we look at a lot of podcasts and I think the narratives often feel really similar uh, or it feels like a little like we're going to do the same thing but I really love the idea of what matters and I think your background and the kind of conversations and dialogue you're trying to cultivate are, are really important so thank you well, for thank having you. me. Yeah. You know, I want to just give the audience a little bit of background. I want to talk about Seed Health, but I know Seed Health isn't your first entrepreneurial background or you're not your first entrepreneurial venture. Can you share a little bit about your background and how you came together with your co-founder to launch Seed Health? Oh, sure. I'll try and do it as succinctly as possible. I know you have quite the list of ventures. <laughs> <laughs> I have this kind of like strange kind of eclectic background that is kind of always at this intersection of kind of storytelling, design, and tech. And I think I always knew I, I would tell stories. It's certainly, I think, the way that I can make the biggest impact. But really, like, I started off in more, you know, I've, I've produced a lot of films and have done a lot in traditional media. I was very early on in a lot of kind of new media and the beginning of how content was kind of going to live on the interweb and then have worked in all kinds of very strange, like very futuristic kind of tech stuff with the Media Lab and really thinking about the ways that storytelling is going to shape some of the technologies of our future and had really like just been in a lot of interesting rooms where it really was that intersection of those three areas. And then the companies that I had started really were a, a bit more in e-commerce, but looking back when I think about when you try and reconcile some of the de decisions you made, wondering why, as someone who doesn't actually like to shop that much, I ended up in e-commerce. I think it was very much that it was at the beginning, both of the thing, the previous companies I had kind of been on the founding teams or co-founded, you know, really were at the very early beginning of things. And I think that has always been very fascinating to me. And so in my last company, for example, um, I, we were one of the first 14 partners to launch Apple Pay, which, you know, it doesn't sound like a very, it's like, who cares now? But like at the time, you know, one touch purchasing on your phone was actually like quite novel. And so I've always thought that the phone, you know, there are these kind of zero to one moments in, in technology. And I think the same thing in storytelling and same thing in a lot of areas. And I think that 
I've always been really drawn to kind of what's early and what's possible. I always knew I would end up in health and science in some capacity. I knew that since I was in high school when I lost my mom and I was first like learning how to research clinical trials when she got cancer. And I have had a lifelong fascination with science and technology and particularly around our bodies and kind of health. And I think that knowing that and watching and, and kind of being that person that people ask questions of my whole life, because I was just a, honestly just a really good researcher. I think I just kind of knew that that's where I would end up. And I had a miscarriage when I was in the company I had co-founded previously. And I resigned very shortly after that. And I think it was just a really important existential moment for me to just, you know, not just because, you know, the pregnancy ended, but I think it just kind of like a lot of those things do create moments for you to say, like, what am I creating? Like, what am I doing every day? What do I what do I want to create? What would be fulfilling to me? And also what could be impactful to the world? And what could I also, what could sustain me? What could I wake up and do all for years uh, that would kind of never, never stop fulfilling me? And I think that the microbiome started to come online for me more just from like a curiosity perspective. But then when I got pregnant very shortly after uh, my miscarriage, it, it really became much more online for me from a more personal perspective, because I was actually kind of creating a life. And the, the microbiome is incredibly important to the development of an, of an infant and, and a healthy child. And so I kind of learned it, we were starting to turn like knew about it previously, but then really kind of became so much more meaningful and important to me. Uh, and then when I met my co-founder while I was pregnant, I think we really bonded over a number of things. But I think one of them was that whatever we did needed to be something that we felt, again, was kind of this zero to one moment. And I think the microbiome and, and microbes, you know, particularly in science and health and, and certainly how they're going to shape our world and our future really are that for me. And I, I think that I felt that after all the experience and strange, weird things that I've worked on over many years, um, it felt like the place that I could apply my lens and that even without being a scientist, I could be really impactful. And I think it brought together a lot of things that I think about the way brands should live in the world and the permission that we have as, as companies to kind of make an impact. And it just felt like it would never kind of ceaselessly be meaningful to both me, but also what we could put out into the world. I find that so interesting because you launched Seed Health in 2018, right? And I remember I sort of came across it very early on. I don't remember how, but you kind of from the launch and kind of outside looking in, you know, I know that the company is much more than just kind of a D to C supplement addressing the microbiome. But if we just take that sort of consumer facing moment for a minute, you've described the company on the website as a microbial science company developing next generation probiotic applications and live biotherapeutics. Can you share a little bit about what does that mean? <laughs> I think the impetus was clear. You were looking for a kind of a business that could sustain you, that could do more. But was it sort of the topic and then meeting your co-founder that really sort of coalesced into this brand that you're building? Yeah, I mean, I'd say I don't think I thought it would be a business that could sustain me. I've never really come from that perspective. And I actually, with a very like kind of non-traditional business background, like I really 
wanted an area of inquiry to sustain me. Like I wanted like an area, like I, I think a lot more in terms of the invisible world, which is microbes that live in and on us and, you know, way more than all matter on earth. You know, that was really like what was fascinating to me. I, I think the, the fact that certain applications of microbes as probiotics obviously are an extraordinary business and, and growing very, very quickly. Obviously some, the category I think being propelled today by probably more evangelism than evidence, but Nonetheless, I think it does reflect, I think, the fact that the research and the, the field is proliferating in terms of advancements and understanding and kind of, you know, particularly like from a scientific perspective, incredibly quickly. The thing for me, and just to explain kind of like what we do, you know, we're a microbial sciences company just really means that we we work in all areas of science that touch microbes. And that can mean um, applications for humans. So for example, uh, a probiotic, which is the application of thinking about, you know, bacteria and microbes and, and how that can have very measurable impacts on very specific endpoints in like the human body. That could be across, you know, everything from gut microbiome to the skin microbiome to the oral microbiome to the vaginal microbiome, which is a lot of our women's health work. And so for us, like the reason that we're a microbial sciences company, not a probiotics company is because we look at applications of microbes across various ecosystems, living ecosystems. So that, that can be in humans and that can be in the environment. So for example, uh, we have a probiotic for honeybees. We're soon to announce our next big seed labs project, which is probiotics for coral reefs, which would mean like applying microbes to coral reefs to do a number of things, potentially make them more heat resistant. So as the temperature of the ocean rises, they're still able to proliferate and still thrive, uh, even in kind of changing conditions due to climate change. And so, you know, for us, we're, we're sending, we have microbes going up into space this fall to the ISS, looking at how microbes may degrade plastic in space, as an example. And so we really call ourselves a microbial sciences company because it's what we are. <laughs> we study microbes. But in terms of the other part of the sentence or mission statement, which you read, which is not just probiotics, but live biotherapeutics, live biotherapeutics are, are really just microbes that are regulated and go through FDA clinical trials. So looking at the first one that will probably be approved, for example, is from a company called Series Therapeutics that is developed a therapeutic using microbes, using bacteria um, to fight C. diff infections, as an example. And so, you know, probiotic has a very specific scientific term, which might be surprising to everybody doing one Amazon search that finds like probiotic pillowcases, tortilla chips, chocolate bars, you really name it. Uh, people add a little bit of bacteria into something and they call it a probiotic, which by the way, you cannot do in almost every other part of the world from a regulatory perspective, but it is a little bit the wild west here. That's what we do. We're a microbial sciences company because that's really what we study in, in all kinds of areas for the for human and the environment. And so hopefully I explained it well, but happy to dig into any of those areas. No, I obviously came across you guys from the, the supplement. And, you know, because I am a total branding geek and you guys launched kind of during the heyday of this whole D to C branding moment. And when I kind of, first of all, the visuals kind of caught me first. And then I kept digging and digging and digging. And I think that it really stood out because the brand first, I think, had sort of it was clearly built in kind of a more traditional way because there's like this depth that you can only get when you go through sort of that process. But it was an incredibly sophisticated brand from the visuals to the language to sort of the packaging. But it's also incredibly approachable. 
So that's kind of how I have to say I've been obsessed and following following you guys ever since. Bought the products, wanted to go through the process, wanted to get all the emails. But can you share a little bit about kind of the design and branding process? And it makes it even more intriguing to me because this business is so much more than the product. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that there's so many things that and particularly I think social media and so many of the platforms and the way that we currently consume is about speed and it's about getting people through funnels quickly. And it's about like higher quantity, lower quality, even though a lot of brands actually make their brands about saying that less is more and then very quickly they're just skew proliferating. Right. And so, you know, I, I think that there was a, a bit of, for me, the brand was like, a real reaction, but also like a reflection, I think of, and I think the company too, is just like, you know, for me, a reflection of like, I think you should build things that reflect how you wish the world was. And I think that's what I do. And that's what, that's what we do. And so that doesn't mean shortcuts, you know, there's so much, so many kind of mantras and tenets that we kind of talk about. I think one is that this notion that friction is the future. I think that we've it's the one night stand right versus the longer term relationships. They both have their value, but when it comes to human health, I'd probably take the depth and the meaning over some of the the quick fixes, which I don't think really are necessarily changing much. I think, you know, for me, it came out of also a response to what I was seeing happening in kind of whatever the 4.3 plus trillion dollar wellness industry that, you know, does, I think, change people's consciousness and make them more attuned to their health and their body. But I think we end up making a lot of decisions from marketing materials for our bodies. And I, I think that we are very, very cognizant that we sell a product. I think that we're very bad salespeople. I very, very rarely even, honestly, very rarely talk about it sometimes, even though uh, it is obviously one of the more impactful things that we do uh, for people's health. But I think because we feel there's so much, you know, science needed to find a way to change the way that it's communicated. It needs an aesthetic. You know, the things that are pretty are often the things that don't have science. And I thought that that was such a strange dichotomy with all the beauty of the human body and the extraordinary design, you know, that somehow the aesthetic of science became something that was, you know, uninteresting from a brand perspective. It was conflated with like medical pharma, like this idea that there's like this uh, kind of East versus West or this like modern versus old or, you know, whatever kind of otherization kind of, I think has become the dichotomy and confirmation bias of how we think about human health. And so I think there were a lot of things. I think science has also lost its spirituality, which I think spirit science is like extraordinarily spiritual discipline. I think it's probably one of the most purest areas that was founded on this idea of inquiry and of knowing the world actually without a prescriptive framework, like many other, I think, frameworks kind of offer or market themselves as. And so I think there were like, between wanting to kind of change the aesthetic of science, I think wanting to reveal the microbiome as this kind of new lens and, and beautiful new ethos through which you could make decisions, you could better know yourself, you could better understand your connectivity to the natural environment, you could understand that we are just one species that human and environmental health are not inextricable. So I think you see a lot of things show up in the brand that actually really call and or I think kind of, you know, evoke this notion of nature, uh, which is not just like the pretty Instagram new skincare genre of brands that do that, but actually like really like from a microbial perspective, it's like true. You know, there are so many things between the copy, you said sophisticated, and I think certainly there's a sophistication to it, but I think there's also like 
we're not going to dumb something down for the, I think what we try and do is work from this notion of like nerd, nerdy, or nerdiest. And so there's always a way for someone to, there's a door for someone to walk through, but it usually is through this lens of, we're not going to tell you what to do. Uh, we're not going to tell you how great our fish is, but we'll tell you, teach you how to fish. And I think we come this, like I always knew that if we could change and create on planet seed, if the currency was education, and then ed, thinking about education as agency, I knew that we could create our own little universe to say like, this is how we wish the world was. This is what we wish that we think in human health, we make too many decisions from not understanding our bodies. And so for us, you know, the microbiome, of course, is, is our area of science and research and drives all the things that we do on the science side. But really, it's like a narrative device to say, like, could you know yourself better? Could you make decisions from this more whole understanding of yourself? And could our design uh, evoke and provoke in all the right places and all the right moments that kind of show you a little bit about also what we care about and how that could reflect a brand and value system that goes way beyond like whether or not you buy a product from us? That was like some of the things. And, and then, of course, in our marketing, like maybe you, you say we're sophisticated, but, you know, we win awards for campaigns like Give a Shit, uh, which is like people taking photos of their fecal matter. So, you know, I think we just try and show up in Trojan horse science into pop culture in the right moments and try and stay sophisticated and integrous to the science uh, in other places where particularly if something's going to go into someone's body, you know, we're, we're, of course, pretty serious about that. I think we, we kind of shape shift according to the channel and, and who we're speaking to, when and where. But for the most part, it really came from some of those kind of core ideas. Thinkers, innovators, experts, generating ideas for the business of beauty. Beauty Matter has built its reputation as a must-read resource for beauty industry insiders, delivering future-focused insights and actionable solutions. With the speed of innovation and increased competition in the category, access to the right analysis and intelligence is more critical than ever. Make an investment in yourself and unlock a competitive edge with a subscription to Beauty Matter. Head over to beautymatter.com to check out our content. And as a listener to our podcast, use the code UNLOCK25 for a 25% discount. I think I was personally drawn to the brand because it wasn't dumbed down. It was really smart, but it didn't feel so smart that I couldn't understand it if I spent enough time with it. But then there were these other points where it was very, you didn't get lost in the science in the process of figuring out what you guys were about. But I have been fascinated about, I'm like, who are the people behind this brand? Because it is so, it is not easy to navigate between like science. And I would say that a lot of your visuals, they do have this kind of spiritual quality to them, especially the photography. And then, you know, to marry that sort of seamlessly with a campaign like, you know, you know, who gives a shit, you know, first of all, you have to have kind of the guts to trust yourself to do that. Right. But yet it sort of all seamlessly hangs together. And I think, you know, you touched on on education a little bit. The other thing that I found incredibly compelling was your concept of open sourcing information. So clearly, you've spent a lot of time researching sustainable options for packaging. And then you go and share them on your website with everyone, which I love. There's that. And then you also sort of tackled the issue of influencers 
and your attempt at making sure they were educated and if they were going to speak about your brand, that the information was correct. And I think you called it Influencer University or something. And you open source Seed University, yes. And you open source that as well. And I was like, I'm going to send them an email and see if they really are going to share all of this. And in fact, a day later, I did. So I find it... I really do think it's kind of the way forward. Like we can only make the world a better place if we collaborate. But how did that sort of open sourcing concept come about? And and it seems to be an important part of your brand. I mean, look, we're, we are a science and biotech company. So there's, of course, a place where IP, you know, or intellectual property and, and that, of course, is, is appropriate. And honestly, every day we, today we wake up to some new company that has taken something I try and like I swallow my like oh that hurts I spent so much time creating that and you know and and just going to that whatever that that euphemism of you know mimicry is flattery and I try and remember that and of course I try and remember remind the team of that because of course it's really demoralizing when we see some of that stuff but I also remember that those are also I think really little nudges also for the world to move forward. And if people find those things inspiring, like, you know, great. Like I know that no one could replicate the science we do. I know that I know what our IP position is in some of these areas. However, on the open source side from the brand perspective, again, it it really just, you know, I not to, I probably will end up sounding more spiritual on this podcast than others, but you know, there is that, that notion of scarcity versus abundance. And I think that, I just, we love creating, I think collaboration, we, we partner and collaborate with so many different types of partners across every area of our ecosystem. And I do think that there is an aspect of collaboration, but I do think that there's an aspect of, there's a lot of disparities, certainly illuminated by the last year around health. And I think that, you know, our first product is not inexpensive. Um, it's very expensive to make. We certainly don't see anywhere near the margins that certainly many other companies that don't do a lot of the work that we do enjoy, but nonetheless, it is not affordable to everybody. Knowing that, I think there's a certain aspect that we're very, and particularly as a subscription and membership, like where a lot of people do put things behind a paywall, uh, even media platforms today, which of course I understand as they try and figure out, like everyone's trying to figure out a business model that makes sense and you want to create value for your community. But I also think there's just an aspect of like, when you know the things that we know and we have access to these extraordinary scientists like we don't feel that that's something someone should pay for. And I think that, you know, open source, you know, and I think there are certainly areas where maybe that doesn't always serve everybody, but I do think that you have to feel really confident in what you're doing to know that I'd rather just somebody else be inspired and learn something and figure out how any of the things and ideas, even if you fundamentally disagree with it, and it just gives you something to disagree with and create your own is still a catalyst for like innovation and creating. And I think we just kind of come from that place of like, I hope this doesn't sound arrogant, but we have a lot better other things to do than worry about someone taking our like influencer program. I hope we change the future of women's health. You know what I mean? Like I don't, those things are not what keep us up at night. And I think it feels, you know, people forget sometimes you, you said, I wonder who the humans behind this brand are. And I think a lot of people forget that there's a lot of beauty and fulfillment and meaning that come when your team works hard on something and then you also can give it to the world. And you can't forget with all the brand stuff you see out in the world, you have to remember there's humans also creating that. And there's something that they want out of it too, right? Like there's something that you can give them. And I think that when we give those things to the world, it's like, it feels really good. It feels awesome that we can share the things that we get to learn every day with more people. And I don't think it was ever like, we never had a meeting that was like, guys, 
the topic of this meeting is, should we open source things? Should we? It was just like, it was never even a question, to be honest. It just, that was just kind of like how we do things. Yeah, no, I mean, it is very clear that so much of what you do comes out of intent rather than some big marketing strategy, which is why I think don't even want to use the word authentic, but you can tell there's there's people who care behind the brand. There are so many brands that are very soulless, and I think that the brand you've built is kind of full of soul and is really engaging and taking the past 12, 18 months kind of into perspective, you know, I think what's interesting is science has kind of become cool again. And so you guys were sort of positioned very well to capture that moment. (laughs) Yes, depends who you follow on Instagram. But yes, you know, look, the last year was a real exercise for us in really staying true to everything that we stand for. You know, we turned off our ads for a really long time, because we saw so much opportunism and so much language around like immune boosting and really misleading opportunism in our category and adjacent categories. And I honestly, we just wanted nothing to do with it. And so we turned off our ads and we said, well, how can we show up in the world? And, you know, we did a lot of interesting things. I think we were one of the first people to get certified to be able to bring in PPE from APAC from China, um, which we very quickly distributed to a lot of frontline workers that did not have access to PPE at the time. We built these online courses. We did, we, we built these Instagram courses and, and figured out how we could use people being at home and being done with their Netflix queue as opportunities for like engagement, interaction, and just kind of being with our community. And we tried to show up and talk about misinformation and talk about misleading information about COVID. And we worked with the people who are behind the COVID tracking project. And those moments actually show you whether or not you're hollow or you're, you have a solid core right? Because, you know, in ecology, resilience is kind of the definition of health for an ecosystem. It's not whether or not you ever get sick or not. It's just whether or not you can rebound and and maintain health, um, even in the face of other stressors. And I think it was a really beautiful year, very challenging, but really beautiful year that I'll certainly never forget. And it makes you incredibly grateful for the people you get to do this with, you know? No, I agree. I mean, it made everyone slow down and you were forced to do things in a different way. And so while it was a really tough year, and I think it's still, we're not out of the woods yet. I think there were so many learnings and I think brands that had the ability to sort of just settle into it and kind of let it unfold and be there for their communities, really the long-term investment for that, you can't even quantify it. It's a really nice way to put it. I think that it also showed us like, it's really nice that our business doesn't rely on us just like selling things, right? Like we got to accelerate and move so much research forward in ways that like we never would have gotten to because of the, I don't want to call it distraction, but because of the part of our business that does require a good amount of attention from like the commerce side. And so I I think it, it really let us lean into so many of the things that actually could be so impactful and let us accelerate them in a way that probably wouldn't have accelerated in exactly the same way without without it. And, and it forced a kind of like leadership and hard work and, and learning all the things you're really not good at. And it was vulnerable. It was exposing. We had a lot of a couple of people on our team that went through pretty extraordinarily challenging family situations. And it just put us all in a place of showing up for each other that I really don't think we would have had otherwise. Yeah. I mean, you know, there are most of your, if we're we're looking at the kind of the commercial side of the business or the product in this category, obviously it's a huge 
opportunity. So it's gotten incredibly competitive, but a lot of people show up a little bit light on the science (laughs) and the substantiation. Do you even worry about competing against them or do you just kind of show up and know that the science matters and you'll find the consumers that are right for your brand? Oh, I wish this wasn't going to be public. Well, well, we can we can get your real answer off the record. <laughs> no, I just know, like you know, I just know every investor is like. I'm sure there's like a big strategy, and, and of course, I mean, I don't mean to. Of course, we're incredibly strategic people, but we know what's on the horizon. We know that the clinical trials and the endpoints that we're looking at for our, let's just say, our core product over the next year, just to take that as an example fundamentally changes the way that this product currently is marketed because it will start to look at aspects of health and behaviors that happen, whether it's after antibiotics, after you drink alcohol, things that really expand what I guess in in strategy language would be addressable market. And we have, you know, our IBS trial at Harvard underway. We have, and so like that's, and that's just on this one product that we have that we sell today. And because I also know where our pipeline is heading and we're looking at, you know, we're really not staying in supplementation. It's kind of where we started. Um, And we have a pediatric uh, symbiotic that will launch. But outside of that, like everything after that actually moves towards these other ecosystems of the body. And I think for that reason, like it hasn't felt today, like because we know what our strategy is long-term, we have not gotten super bogged down with the exact, the single one-to-one competitors, because I think we know the efficacy of the current product. We know the the value that it's kind of creating in people's lives. We know that the channels that we are marketing on really work and create an awesome sustainable business that allows us to kind of move these other really important fields of research forward. And so I think because we know like the approach that we're taking in these various areas, conditions, obviously some things on the live biotherapeutic side, sometimes things on the probiotic side, I don't want to say that we don't think about competition, but I do think that we, I think we have a healthy confidence in the product that we've created and developed. And additionally, what the roadmap is for that specific product that while we can't talk about some of those things today, um, really fundamentally change with that with the positioning of it in the future as being probably one of the best in, in the world categorically. I find it really interesting because we kind of have gone through this period where people raised a ton of money, moved really fast. They were all looking for like this unicorn status and how fast can I exit this business? And listen, you've built a number of businesses. It takes a long time to build a business. Like you cannot do it in three years. You can't build a brand in three years. And I think what's really interesting in the beauty space, you know, some of the most interesting businesses now that are getting funded are brands that have been around 20, 25 years. You know, Paula's Choice just sold today for $2 billion. And I'm like, yes, those, it takes a long time. And so I think that there's, We're starting to see brands and businesses like yours that have like this long-term view and it's really refreshing. And I think the consumer benefits, and in your case, I mean, the amount of research you're doing is really exciting. And I would love to know some of the the work that you're doing in Seed Labs. Like you mentioned the, the honeybee probiotic and the coral reefs. And what are some of the projects that you're super excited about? I guess product, consumer product related. 
Yeah, of course. So, so for C Labs, you know, just so, so for anyone listening, so that just to clarify what C Labs is, it's really just our environmental division where we look at kind of novel applications of bacteria and how they could address some of the really big challenges, you know, that are being caused mostly by what they call what is called anthropogenic climate change, which is like the human induced part of climate change. So, where we started was, you know, we first created this probiotic for honeybees, which impacts their immune resilience against neonicotinoid pesticides, which are, as the name implies, pesticides that are really nicotine-based and have nicotinoids that are incredibly addictive for bees, but also really destroy their gut, gut microbiome and then therefore make them more susceptible to things like colony collapse disorder, uh, or American full-blood disease, which is actually where it's a lesser known than colony collapse disorder, but really important because it's where the, a lot of the larvae die and so, or causes a lot of death in, in larvae. And so, you know, we started with this probiotic that started as like a pancake, this kind of bio patty that you kind of put into the hive, which is combined with their kind of traditional like nutrient sources that a lot of farmers or honeybee cultivators kind of like use. And then we realized that actually the spray would be more impactful. So really what we're doing now is looking at whether or not the spray can be used just as effectively, just because it's easier to administer and has less kind of vulnerabilities for stability and other stuff. So that was the first thing. And we really sought to see some and have seen really interesting data. We published about it a few times, looking at that it actually does increase the immune resilience of these honeybees against pesticides, which is really exciting. As I mentioned earlier, we're going to be starting to look at the marine, the ocean microbiome and looking at the microbiome of coral, uh, which not dissimilar to honeybees have a huge impact on the health of the ocean. If you think about the food chain, just like honeybees are our greatest pollinators, coral is kind of like the honeybee of the ocean. They're very important. They do a number of like play a big role in, in the health of oceans. And I'm sure, as you know, that we're losing them and it's creating all kinds of kind of systemic problems in the, in the ocean. And so what we're looking at is, can we use microbes? Can we apply probiotics to coral reefs? The first test started in the Red Sea recently with an incredible scientist. Her name is Dr. Raquel Pachoto, and she's uh, she's Brazilian, but she's living in Saudi so that she can do the her work in the Red Sea. Um, and that's where the first field tests have started. And then we also, I think, as I mentioned, we have some microbes going up with, MIT, with the Media Lab at MIT going up into space to the ISS to be looking at uh, how they could potentially degrade plastic. Um, which is really interesting. And a lot of people are looking at microbes for for plastic degradation. So that's one of our big projects. And then we're also uh, starting the development of our own biomaterials. So looking at how we could take parts of our waste stream from our supply chain and start to use the broth or the waste that comes from either fermentation or from some of our other materials um, and how that could kind of then be created Uh, into kind of new polymers or materials that could be printed or applied for kind of core packaging or primary packaging. And so, and some of our other packaging work does also happen under seed labs, even though it's not all the development of our own biomaterials, but we, we definitely are constantly scouring the world. We have a partner that is like on a year long residency with us. And we, we look at like all kinds of really interesting materials from a packaging perspective, because of course that's one of the areas that it's like one of the worst offenders as some of these brands scale. Yeah, no, I, I find the packaging work obviously really important. I feel, I think, you know, another thing that came out of the pandemic is the the knowledge in a very real way that businesses need to show up in the world and do good. They need to do right by their people. They need to do right by their communities. They need to be part of the solution, not create more problems. Yes. As long as people also recognize that companies are just also people. So I think it goes both ways. It was a big show the fuck up moment for everybody. 
It was. And so I feel like you can't really launch a company if you're not, you have to be mindful to the world we live in and materials and the, the packaging plays such a big part of that. And I feel that, especially in the beauty industry, formulation and ingredients have come a long way in the past 10 years, the packaging is sort of has been lagging behind, but I feel like there's finally momentum there um, to make significant change. Yeah. I mean, looks like everything else. I mean, and Peter Thiel talks about this really well. I mean, I've certainly said the word zero to one, the term is zero to one enough times. It's probably like people think it's probably a drinking game, but like so much of this is just what I think in Silicon Valley, they refer to as tinkering present company included, because there's certain things that systemically are very challenging to solve for. So a great example is you can change the formulations, but you know stability is what drives the industry. And the reason that you need to hit stability is because people need to sell things at such scale that like Sephora can store it for longer and know that the product's not going to be compromised and you have to be able to certify that. And so, you know, when you start to unravel like the why of so much of this stuff, it starts to just, you know, it always speaks to the fact that along the way that we've gotten so many things wrong systemically, you know, it's, I mean, we see this with so many of the things that came out of the past year, whether it's with social justice, with human rights, with women's rights. I mean, when you start to unravel these things, there's no like one social media campaign or one hashtag or one idea that really without going back and saying like, you have to say like a system doesn't work. And then first principling and saying like, what was it designed to do? And how can you redesign it? But very few things like we're probably not going to change the entire way that the entire global beauty industry works. And so what we say is, well, what are the ways that we could show up for ourselves in a way that we feel good about? What are the things that we could do that signal to some of the bigger companies that probably are capable of greater global impact? Because what happens is, is that the little companies make the consumer aware of what the big companies are doing. And then the big companies are forced to show the fuck up. And then that change takes another five to seven years because those are cruise ships versus the little speedboats that get to run around and buy MOQs of like, you know, that hit minimums that are just like more feasible that aren't like looking at global scale. And I think it really does come back to the fact that like there's, it is really challenging to change some of these like long held systems if you also are prescribing to the same KPIs and metrics that those same systems were built on. And until you can really change that, some of those ideas, which I think there are some companies that really do challenge that. And there's new investors that are challenging that too, or say they're challenging that, I should say. <laughs> uh, at least at least their websites do. I mean, yes, it, you're, you're absolutely right. The packaging has come last, but there's really, there's reasons for that, that are not just, oh, there aren't good like PHAs available. And then of course, there's the whole, like a lot of people don't know if bioplastics are even better than plastics. So what happens is it becomes marketing. Yeah, I mean, it is an incredibly complicated problem to solve for. And I think that people are looking for quick marketing sound bites and I'm doing it right, you're doing it wrong. But in effect, there is no perfect solution and it's complicated and it takes tinkering (laughs) to solve. Yeah, and we're too ready to just cancel. You know, I think we just cancel people and we don't even ask the questions. There's complexity to some of these things. There's the notion that just changing something is easy. There's, we've just gotten to this real cancel place that um, means that we can just dismiss anything that doesn't fit our idea of the world without really understanding. If anything, I'd rather, I'd rather reduce confirmation bias 
I think that's probably one of the greatest polluters of our time, more so than some of the, the things that are perceived to be bad, but really the way that they got to be perceived to be bad were through marketing campaigns, not because they're necessarily as bad as they're being told to us. And so, it, you know, it's like saying like, oh, don't let your kid eat dihydrogen oxide. Well, when you say water like that, it sounds scary. So I, I think we just, we've stopped really asking questions. You know, we've really lost our curiosity and we're just so quick to like decide that, oh, it's, it says sustainable, it must be better. You know, no one wants to know like, well, how is it? Does it actually, like, what does it all, what does that mean? And I wish, you know, that's probably would be a greater solution than, than maybe some of the tinkering that's happening with packaging. I mean, Ara, I honestly, I think I could talk to you all afternoon. It is such an honor to have met you because truly a fan of the brand. And now I can, I no longer have to worry about who the humans are behind the brand. Now I know one of them. Well, you know, one of them, but I am, I am one of a very wonderful, talented team of humans. So. Yeah, that's clear. And I'm super excited to watch how all of this is going to unfold. I know that you just raised a pretty substantial Series A, so you must have a lot of exciting stuff in the pipeline. Um, yes, thank you. And thank you for all your thoughtful questions and for the awesome conversations that you're putting out into the world. So thank you. For Era, it's a matter of curiosity. As a serial entrepreneur, her work has been at the intersection of tech, media, and consumer brands. For Era, it's a matter of curiosity. As a serial entrepreneur, her work at the intersection of tech, media, and consumer brands provides a unique perspective that fuels Seed's bold vision to stored advances in research that reveals the vast potential of microbes to transform how we live and care for ourselves, our children, and the environment. Appearances are sometimes deceiving. At first glance, Seed Health could appear to be a brilliantly crafted consumer wellness brand. And it's certainly that, but it's so much more. Era is using her ability to craft a story and serious brand building chops to build a business already making a profound impact. At Seed, they don't reference science, they do science, elevating its beauty and making it cool. So in the end, it's a matter of curiosity, and that's what matters. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. Hi, I'm Era, and for me, it's a matter of curiosity. And I say that because I think the world needs better questions, and I think we know each other better and create better solutions and collaborate better with one another if we were all just more curious. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter LLC, you can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media at Beauty Matter Official. This is Mouth Media Network, your inside voice.